Hey there, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. This is a quick note I've just recorded the day we were releasing that podcast. This was recorded last week and I wanted to add a precision. We have mentioned in the podcast that's upcoming where Mark Perrin and I talk about Amazon Associates and terms of service especially, a member of Authority Hacker Pro that had been banned from Amazon. And when that happened, actually Mark kind of like took him under his wing and tried to help him fix his website. And actually, we just got the news that that account was unbanned. And I think that makes it the first case study of someone that actually, you know, got banned by Amazon and managed to get unbanned and be able to make money again with the Amazon Associates program. I'm not going to go through all the details, but the big story is going to be inside the blog post that comes with this podcast, which is the Ultimate Amazon Associates guide on the Authority Hacker blog. So if you want to check it out, just go on authorityhacker.com slash Amazon Associates in two words, Amazon dash Associates. And you'll see that Mark has a bunch of comments throughout the post that explain the case study of how Winston, the HPro member, got unbanned from the Amazon Associates program. All right, now on to the podcast. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, I am not with one, but two people, so I have Perrin and Mark. How's it going, guys? It's all right. Fantastic. Wow, that's that's just like sounds so real. I'm amazed. Anyway, <laughs> especially after what we're going to talk about, right? Because probably the title of the podcast is going to say what we're going to talk about. And what happened is we got audited by Amazon and wasn't so fantastic when we got the email, to be honest. What happened exactly, Mark, actually? Uh, well, Amazon basically sent us an email and uh, we kind of freaked out a little bit when they did. As I've sort of discovered over the past couple of weeks, they're getting a bit better at not just instantly banning people, but actually like warning them and checking information and actually communicating with you, which is nice. So they basically requested that we supply all sorts of information. They provided us with a list of what they needed to see. It included things such as giving like a detailed breakdown of the source of our traffic like analytics screenshots, user screenshots from like uh, user visit uh, screenshots from like over a long period of time, really just like asking for lots and lots of information, like breaking it down by country, all, all this kind of stuff. I believe the reason they asked us for this, although I'm not sure, I believe the reason was because we were using Genius, which is a link management software, which up until recently I thought was pretty good. But because we're using that, it would appear to Amazon like they're unable to actually see what our site is for some reason, despite the fact that we had health ambition and, and whatnot in our profile. And yeah, but they can correlate the traffic coming in to the yeah. site we claim it came from. You know? Exactly. So that's why they requested all this information. And when they did that, we obviously, you and I, Gail, have heard these stories of people getting banned. Yeah. And there's actually another person who contacted me just earlier this week with a story of, of how that happened. But we'll get into that a little bit later. So yeah, they sent all this information, this request for information, and then we kind of took a long, hard look at ourselves and wanted to, to make sure we were actually compliant with all their terms. So that kind of 
led us down a, a path of discovery, shall we say, <laughs> which was kind of interesting. Well, I mean, we were mostly like, it's like, I, I would say we were, I would say like we probably would have passed the audit even if we didn't, but just because we were so afraid and we, like Amazon is quite a bit of money for us every month. Like we decided to just essentially audit our business before they do it. And for context, there had been a few recent reports within our communities of people who got banned. And so, like, you never know what Amazon's going to do, and you kind of never know their temperament. But we had been hearing these stories. And so when we knew we were getting audited, it was, to me anyway, even a little bit scarier. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just just this week someone contacted me asking what to do that they had actually gotten banned. Uh, I believe the reason was for mentioning pricing information, which is something you just can't do. Get into that in a sec. But they Amazon had actually sent them a warning email about this, but it had gone to their spam box, so they missed it. So the second email, two or three weeks later, was just a straight-out ban, and they were really sort of strict in the language. You know, this decision is final. It cannot be reversed. Please remove all references from Amazon from your site, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a pretty serious thing if it, if it does happen. So it's just definitely worth, uh, I guess, erring on the side of caution with, with your approach to this. So here's what the email said. Okay, I was going to ask. Yeah. It says, and maybe we can, in post-production, put some, like, Jaws music over this or something. Hello from the Amazon Associates program. While reviewing your account, we have been unable to verify that the means through which you are referring customers to the Amazon site are in compliance with the terms of the Amazon Associates program operating agreement. Therefore, we request you provide us with detailed description of the methods you are using to refer customers to the Amazon site in accordance with the operating agreement, which states you must provide us with any information that we request to verify your compliance with the operating agreement. The description you send should include, for example, the identification of websites on which your banner is posted, etc., etc., and basically tells us that we have five days to get all of our stuff together so that we can, first of all, answer this issue for them, but then we assumed, basically, that we are going to be getting a full audit to check for full compliance of all of because why wouldn't they, right? If they think we already might be breaking one rule and we're you know sending that much traffic then i'm sure that we're going to take a look at our site but basically at the end it says if we do not hear from you regarding the above or based on your response we will be unable to verify that your methods are compliant with the operating agreement we will close your associates account and may withhold fees yeah so that's not even just closing it it's like probably your last 30 days or whatever they're gone as well right yeah uh, which in our case is like thousands of dollars do you guys know if that kind of stuff is frequent? Do you know of a lot of people getting audited? Or like, what have you heard about that? Yeah, so, so I think I agree with Mark. In the past, like, five years, it seemed that Amazon had a reputation for just being, like, ruthless banners. And they would send people emails out of the blue saying, like, hey, you're banned for life. And there were all these horror stories all over the internet of people's whole businesses getting dumped overnight and even some big people who had like five figure a month businesses and stuff in the recent 12 months or the most recent 12 months i've heard a lot more about amazon sending warnings to people asking questions and or giving them instruction saying like hey you need to do this to comply 
please let us know in a couple of days if you've done it or we'll then close your account, which is kind of what this is saying here. I haven't heard of many people getting audited specifically. Like this is honestly one of the first times I've ever heard of Amazon telling someone they were going to be audited in five days. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure if it's telling us that, that, that we're going to be audited. I think the audit is just a de facto thing that's going to happen because we're supplying right. additional information. I think the real issue here is that they were not able to see where our traffic was coming from because we were using the Genius plugin to manage the links and it wasn't the, the proper Amazon links. So it was just basically trying to verify because over the last year, our traffic or the amount of money we're making on Amazon's increased pretty significantly on health ambitions. So I think that that's maybe once it reaches a certain level, maybe that will trigger some kind of check, I would assume. So I think that's where this, this stems from. Yeah. So why is Amazon doing all that stuff, by the way? To cover themselves, really. They are the biggest e-commerce retailer out there. They run probably the biggest affiliate program in the world. Amazon is constantly under attack from the FTC, from regulators in the US and the European Union, because they're such a high profile company. So they have to be whiter than white when it comes to compliance and meeting all these regulations which are in place, often contradictory to each other across different countries, if you, uh, if you listen to the recent legal podcast which we were in. But basically, Amazon needs to actively be showing that to the government and to other agencies that they're really staying on top of things here. I also think it's worth mentioning that we do everything we can to stay above board and to promote Amazon products in compliance with their terms of service and in a way that serves our users and in a way that plays nice with Google, etc. But there are lots of people who are on the other end of the spectrum that Amazon has to deal with pretty much constantly. People who are trying to like bend the rules and like find crappy ways to send fake clicks and like all this stuff. So it's not just people like us. Amazon is dealing with a whole, you know, just the regular mob of spamsters who are trying to make a quick buck without doing any real work. So they're trying to cover themselves and they're also constantly trying to be taken advantage of by these schmucks. Yeah, just to give you like one example of a potential legal issue, if we as an affiliate were to write an article, let's say we're reviewing a juicing product, a juicer. And we say this juicer it costs twenty dollars and it's the cheapest one on the internet. Go buy it at Amazon. Here's our link. That may be true when we wrote that, but let's say the next month someone the price goes up or someone else releases a, a similar product on a different site. That statement which we made about the price being the cheapest and go and buy it on Amazon, that would be false. So would we then be engaged in deceptive advertising? Probably not, like from my perspective, but the FTC may take a different view if they're trying to get Amazon on something. So that's kind of why they, or one of yeah. the reasons at least, why they try and cover Because themselves. Amazon is essentially financing us. They are sponsoring us and incentivizing us to send traffic their way. So if they're incentivizing something that breaks the FTC rules, there's somewhat, it's kind of like the same for fair production. Like if a brand pays for brands that utilize children's for production, they will be blamed for it, even though they just outsource it to another company. So it works kind of the same way. I do think that is one of the weirder, less discussed, maybe tangential benefits of complying with the Amazon terms of service, because there's 
There's so much pressure on Amazon to stay clean and to stay compliant with FTC rules. If you're compliant with Amazon, you're usually covering a lot of your bases with the FTC. There's still some like other stuff you need to take care of and you should be aware of all the rules, but just by complying with Amazon, you're usually in pretty good shape. All right, so let's go back to the story. Once we got the email, what happened? Well, after freaking out for five, 10 minutes and trying to <laughs> Running figure out- Running around in circles, right? Trying to figure out what it meant and what to do. I, I mean, no. So the first thing I did was I think like Google some of the text in the email. And then I came across a few blog posts, which explained similar situations and really the fact that it was like a request for, for information, not necessarily a suspicion of wrongdoing. So we then spent some time like figuring out how to present this information. So they asked for various screenshots of different parts of analytics. So we decided to do all that. Plus we decided to make video recordings, screencasts of it just so we like really went above and beyond to show everything they needed and more. So that was one. But as we were doing that, we started looking through some of these other blog posts, which I mentioned. And then we started looking at health ambition, how we'd been placing the links, the plugins we're using, a few things like that. And we discovered that we were actually kind of in breach of some of the rules, not seriously, but definitely a little bit. And we also discovered, and this was, this was a big thing I want to discuss today, is that the link shortening services such as Genius, while on paper they are acceptable to use and they're okay, there is a lot of ambiguity around something, one of the requirements which Amazon has where you have to mention the fact that you're linking to Amazon and just exactly what that means is is kind of up for debate. So we felt upon doing more research that that actually put us a little bit at risk and we're kind of risk averse people. So we decided that it may be best to uh, to actually cut genius. As we did that, it broke a bunch of stuff. I can't remember why. What, what was the reason there? <laughs> so, I mean, no, not really. It's like, so the way it works is like genius is a plugin you activate on your WordPress install. And then everything that links to Amazon is automatically transformed into a genius link, essentially. And so that's normal, but then normally when you deactivate the plugin, then all the links go back to the Amazon links. However, when you use plugins like Thrive Architect, Thrive Content Builder, etc., for a period of time, it would render the link as a genius link when you opened it to edit it in Thrive Content Builder. Then when you would save it, it would hard code it as a genius link. That would basically, it would change these links for real on your HTML, essentially, to be genius links. And so when we deactivated Genius, there were still a bunch of genius links live on the website. So I actually wrote a rule for the website for anything that's like genii.us or something to automatically change that to google.com so that all the links would break. So we would stop sending traffic to Amazon through Genius, even though we didn't have time to change the hard-coded link overnight, you know. So essentially, we just broke a bunch of our own affiliate links on the site so that Amazon would not receive traffic that they would not deem to be correct. And so as, we, as we did this, we realized there was something like 250-odd pages which had faults which we would have to correct. Not just, I mean, the, this specific Small ones, though, usually wasn't such a big deal. The other really serious problem we discovered was around image hosting. So what a lot of people will do with uh, Amazon is they will download one of the product images from amazon.com, upload it to their site, and then resize that, place it in a nice formatted way in line with the text. It looks great. 
Unfortunately, that's again something which letter of the law you're not really supposed to do. Instead, what you're supposed to do is use the Amazon, is it Site Stripe, I think it's called? The little banner yeah. that. Associate Stripe, yeah. Yeah. So if you log into your Amazon Associates account, then go into Amazon.com and click on a product, there'll be a little strip at the, a little bar at the top of the page, and there's a piece of text which says image. And if you click on that, it will generate a URL which is like the actual image, but then you can like embed that on your own site, but it will dynamically update, which is great. You know, if the product owner changes the images, then, you know, it automatically updates and and everything. And that's, that's really the covering you from like the legal side of things. But the problem with that is the formatting and the sizing and all the padding around it is pretty terrible. If I'm honest with you. It's not so bad. Honestly, I thought it could be a lot worse. It's not bad. If that's what it takes to be compliant, and the sales haven't dropped, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, when I was testing it myself, like, years ago, because I was just tired of, like, formatting and downloading and uploading the images, I started testing whether or not people were even clicking on them, and I discovered that most of the time they weren't. And so for a lot of my sites and a lot of my main articles, I just did away with the images completely, and it didn't seem to hurt pretty much anything. But yeah, basically with Amazon Images and Price, you have to pull them from the API. You can't just put them on your site yourself. Yeah, it, it makes it a lot easier. Other things that we definitely didn't break, but that are important is also like putting a disclaimer on your website. Now, the TOS, if I remember, just say put a disclaimer on your website, but they don't really mention if it needs to be on every page. Or if it needs to be just on like, your privacy policy or something like that. I actually asked support about this when I was doing the article that accompanies this podcast. And they said that either way is fine. So you can either have it in the footer of your website or you can have it on an affiliate disclaimer page on your website as long as that page is linked to from every page. So like <clears> if there's a link in your footer that says like, here's our affiliate disclaimer, what we prefer to do just to go above and beyond and to make sure we are always compliant is usually to just put the disclaimer in the footer so that it appears on every page and you can find the disclaimer in the operating agreement and you have to put that disclaimer word for word on your website so you don't write your own you have to put that one in yeah Yeah. and the actual ftc rules on this are pretty ambiguous they say it must be prominently displayed on your site. So that's really open to interpretation. I know it for some other non-Amazon affiliate programs, I've had affiliate managers come to us and say, hey, you know, this needs to be above the fold in your sidebar, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think what I do just to jump in real quick, I have my Amazon associate disclaimer in the footer. And then I have an FTC disclaimer, which is usually very easy. It can be like one sentence that says like, hey, just so you know, we earn commissions if you buy some of the products we mentioned on our blog and you link to your affiliate disclaimer page. I'll have like that little sentence somewhere in like the middle of my sidebar or on the top of my sidebar, yeah. which doesn't obstruct user experience and it's not going to hurt your ads or anything. But for me, I treat them as two separate things. Yeah, we have that too, actually. So we on the sites, it's like based on the category or the tag, these widgets going to show up or not. We use thrive clever widgets to determine whether it shows or not but yeah we have the same thing another thing that we also are not allowed to do is amazon is email promotions but this we haven't really done promoting products with email i don't think it's the best way of using an email list anyway you can probably promote products with much higher commission rates than amazon products 
And the one that really kind of like makes me sad is the no pop-up one, you know? So you're not allowed to have promos in a pop-up. Although, just to say like these promos in pop-ups for us, they work really well. So when we have these roundup reviews, etc., we have you on Tori Hacker actually. Like usually we'll make a custom exit pop-up for that page that kind of like recommends a free trial of the best product or something like that. And the click-through rate and the earning per click is really high for these. However, we use, technically we don't use pop-up for that. We use light boxes. And they're actually part of the main frame of the website. So the question is, are these considered as pop-up or not? Because if you could actually put links in there, you could definitely make more money from your Amazon articles. By measure of safety, we don't do that. But that's definitely something that I would definitely enjoy being able to do. And another one as well is not mentioning the prices, but you mentioned that you can only mention the prices if you pull them via the API and you refresh them every 24 hours. And that includes refreshing every cache every 24 hours as well. So that means browser cache needs to be limited to 24 hours. That means hosting cache needs to be limited to 24 hours. And that means CDN cache, if you use one, needs to be limited to 24 hours. So it's a little bit technical. It's not always the case that these things do that. So yeah, these are the rules... What? Yeah, I sorry. was just going to add one more thing to that. I believe there's also some rule about you need to, next to the price, state the date or the time or something like that when the price was mm. uh, pulled. I've seen quite a few people who do use the API display it, display it like that. I haven't personally done that myself. I haven't used the API for pricing, so I don't know exactly what the rules are there. Yeah, what I would say about how we do it, and again, this is open to interpretation as, as to like what exactly the rules are. You're not allowed to mention specifics. So if you say the price is $20, that's bad because the price can change and then that can be incorrect information and then that's bad for Amazon. If you say this is the most expensive one or this is the cheapest one, that's also bad because that may be true when you write it, but may not be true later on. So you really have to be very careful when discussing pricing, even without mentioning it specifically, the specific numbers. So you can think of doing things such as like a pricing star system, maybe like five stars is expensive and one star is not. Even that, which is something we do on a health ambition at the moment, I'm not going to say questionable. I think that's okay, but I'm definitely open to being proven wrong on that. I think it's okay as long as it's your editorial interpretation, you know, and it's very clear that it's your interpretation and not like a, a fact of life and like a star is not equals to an amount of dollar or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think my general advice when talking to people is really think about whether or not you need that information because you just might not like, do I need this specific price? Do I need to go through all the trouble of pulling it from the API and refreshing the cache 24 hours? Maybe you don't. I found a lot of the times is that if you have a link that says, you know, this goes to Amazon and here's the product, the less information you have, the more likely people tend to be to click because they want more information. So you can write about the product, you can write about why you might be recommending that product, and you can write about maybe your experience or whatever it happens to be. But some of the specific stuff that is maybe flirting too heavily with a terms of service violation or it's a lot of technical hassle, maybe consider just testing without it. Yeah, I agree, actually. It's like it's more like teasing people about the product than selling it on your site. Amazon does a good job at the selling. You don't have to do that. 
That's what we do. Like when we're not in the Amazon space, we're not doing niche sites. That's how we sell products most of the time anyway, if you're just like blogging like normal. Like when we are blogging on Authority Hacker and we're actually using a product and we actually like it and we actually want to recommend it, we just say, hey, check out Thrive Themes or whatever it is. We don't say, hey, check out Thrive Themes. Here's an image of the landing page and also the price right now is that, you know, like it's oftentimes a lot more natural just to mention a product as you blog. Yep. So I have a question. Like we've talked about us. Let's talk about the people that are listening to that podcast. Let's say you're listening to that podcast and you're not entirely sure that you would pass that audit. What should people do? I think you should take preemptive action. And first of all, go through the terms of service and identify gaps in what you're doing versus what they want you to do. You can look at the accompanying blog post, which will be published this week as this goes out, I believe, yep. um, to check for exactly what those details are. And just start making a list of where the gaps are, and then just make a list of all of your posts on your site. We use Google Analytics to pull the, the list for health ambition when we did that. And then honestly, just start going through them one by one and start fixing it. It's better to do that now in advance of any issues rather than Amazon email you and demand you you know, fix it in a few days time when you're on vacation and don't have internet access or something and you miss it. And then, you know, it's, it's just asking for trouble, really. What I would say in terms of the priority fixes would be any mention of price. So if you've been actually writing the price in your article or someone this week who I saw got banned, he wasn't mentioning specific prices, but his buttons, so his CTAs said, check out the cheapest price or some variation of that. And that's the reason he got banned. So you need to be very, very, very careful with, with anything mentioning price. Check your disclaimers. Check your not self-hosting images. And the other thing I would say, we didn't really go into this in a lot of detail, would be have a, a, hard, a long, hard think about what link management plugin or tool you're using. And I mentioned that we used Genius before. We don't use it anymore. We don't use anyone anymore. There's a few interesting developments over the last year or so there. Now, one of the big reasons why we used to use Genius was because it would allow you to input your Amazon UK, Amazon Canada, Amazon US, Amazon Germany, Amazon France associates accounts. And then depending on which country the user was from, it would direct them to the correct place. And that's great. But now Amazon actually do that, not with all of those sites, but with the US, Canada, and the UK, I believe. It's mm -hmm. called Amazon Smart Link. One link, that's the one. So you're able to you're able to actually do that. And we found on Health Ambition, which gets, you know, half a million or so visits a month, that France and Germany and the smaller European countries didn't actually make up that big a percentage of our, our sales any. We were talking like hundreds. It was mostly the UK actually that was decent. Yeah, like the UK. Canada is all right, but the UK is the biggest. Yeah, far. and that would make sense because it's an English language site. So, so yeah, there's that. The other thing about link management plugins is rather than the URL being, so if a user moves a mouse over the link, instead of it saying, you know, amazon.com forward slash and then whatever else, it would say genius or genie.us slash. And the important thing there is that Amazon has a rule where sometime, whenever you're linking to Amazon, you have to make it clear that you're linking to Amazon. Now, they define making it clear as having an Amazon URL, 
like a raw Amazon URL. So, so if you're not using a plugin, that's fine. If you're using Genius, you don't have that raw URL, that Amazon.com URL. So it's not clear in that sense. So the obligation, therefore, is for you to write that. So for example, your CTA or your button might be check out the price on Amazon or learn more on Amazon, which would be fine. But if you consider all of the occasions or all the instances where you do want to link to uh, Amazon, it's not just on those buttons or it's not just one link here or there. You may have, as we have on Health Ambition, a table, like a top 10 or top five table, and you'll just have like the product name. Or in your images, you may not want the word Amazon as part of the image or next to the image that might look a bit weird, might mess up your formatting. So based on that, that was really the the main reason why we decided that that Genius uh, is probably not the best bet for us. Yeah, I think it can work in some occasions and you can definitely be compliant with Genius. I want to say that as well, right? It's just like in our case, in the way we build our sites, we prefer to just make it simpler and not have to state it every time we link to Amazon by just having raw links, essentially. Even if that means we lose some commissions in France and Germany and a few other places. We felt that, you know, having to state and long call to actions and less freedom in call to actions when we test might cost us more than what earning from these other countries would bring. So that's basically it. The other um, thing now, I would say in terms of giving advice to someone just based on the guy this week who had his uh, warning email go to spam is go into your Gmail or, or email software and find a, a message from the Amazon Associates program. And I know in Gmail or Google Suite, you can filter it and then there's an option, never send emails from the sender to spam. So make sure that's set up so that you can avoid a similar situation. Yeah. That's definitely true. Now, let's imagine someone just got the email from Amazon and then one of their friends sent them to his podcast. Because I know that a lot of people discover us that way, you know, <laughs> they get in trouble and then they're like, oh, you should listen to that podcast. And by the way, thanks for recommending us for those who do that. What should these people do? Like literally they have like three days left. Yeah, so I'll probably jump in here. My rule of thumb, and this might be a little bit too extreme and maybe you guys have different recommendations. My rule of thumb is to... If you know you're under scrutiny, to go as bare bones as you possibly can, even if it's going to lose you a little bit of money or it's going to mean that your site isn't necessarily set up the way that you want it, but go as bare bones as you possibly can. For me, that might mean something like no images at all, no mentions of price anywhere, double check to make sure the disclaimer is in the footer of my site, and to only have raw Amazon text links as the affiliate links on my site. I feel like it's very, very hard if you make sure the disclaimer's there and the only thing you have on your site that points to Amazon is a raw text link that they have provided to you. It's pretty tough for you to break any rules. So just from a risk management standpoint, going as safe as you possibly can is probably what I would do. And then after you pass the audit, you can slowly start adding more stuff in and making sure each time you do that, that you're compliant. So you know, it's images or like maybe you know for your niche or your site, you need the price. You can build some API software or use an API plugin or whatever and ask support every time you do that because Amazon has really responsive support and they're very willing to help. But if you're being audited, you're under scrutiny, usually my rule of thumb or my advice to people is to just go bare bones so that you can make sure you pass the audit and then you can start adding stuff back in. 
I would say as well, look in the email that they send you for clues. So in the case of our email, which Perrin so eloquently read out at the beginning, they mentioned specifically about identifying where our traffic was coming from. So that kind of told us that maybe they have an issue with the genius or maybe they, they don't have full visibility over, over everything. In the guy who I spoke to this week who actually got banned, he, he later found the email which went to a spam folder. And there was a specific mention about pricing disclosures and pricing information mm. and, and, and whatnot on, on there. So that's probably a clue as to, uh, to where you should focus your efforts on. At least usually they will give you, I think it was two or three weeks warning for in his case to fix that. So uh, that's probably the, you know, place to start but it doesn't, so certainly probably, doesn't hurt to be fully compliant on all the other areas as well just just because they don't mention it so they probably audit you a little bit at least before they send the email right if the email is different every time they probably they already checked you out basically i would imagine um, there's probably some kind of rule system or algorithm yeah. they have once you're making x amount of money then they'll they'll run a check on this yeah but the fact that the email was different how would it be different for that guy and for us you know well for in our case they asked to see information about where our traffic was coming from and yeah. in his case it was a directive it was they said hey we have looked at your site you okay. are mentioning pricing stop doing that or words to that effect okay fair enough Okay, well, any last words of wisdom to close that podcast? Yeah, I do. One of the things I hear a lot is that it will happen in our community. Someone like brings up something that they might be doing with their site, and then we go, hey, that's against terms of service. And then often the response is like, well, the wire cutter does it. And I feel like that's kind of like a logical fallacy because, yeah, the wire cutter may be doing stuff that breaks terms of service or whatever. But one of the important things to realize is that the wire cutter is, and sites like the wire cutter, CNET, or whoever it is, which is another sort of infamous one that seems to be breaking lots of rules. They are huge sites bringing Amazon millions of dollars, and they probably have special accounts. They certainly have account reps, and they may have worked out deals in one way or another, or maybe getting some help from Amazon. So as a word of wisdom, I would say, don't look at the biggest affiliate sites for direction. You should be much more cautious than them as a rule of thumb, and you should be reading the terms of service yourself. Another rule of wisdom is to do just that, read the terms of service. We did our best in the blog post that accompanies this podcast to create a human-friendly version of the Amazon terms of service, or at least to explain it. That does not replace reading it yourself. And if you have a business that's making a lot of money, it's probably worth hiring your own lawyer for just an hour or two to read it and explain it to you and to help you check for compliance. So, you know, that's not going to be in everybody's budget, but if you've got a business that's making money, it's certainly an expense worth paying for, in my opinion. One thing I would finally say or like to add to that is in your communication with Amazon, I think it always pays to be honest and transparent. So in the report, which we filed within five days of them sending us that email, there were a few things, a few cases, uh, which I felt we had not been in compliance and we were very honest. Like we said, hey, thanks for the email. Here's all the data you requested. Here's the screenshots, here's the videos. By the way, I also noticed that maybe this isn't incompliant. Maybe this isn't compliant. We're actually fixed this or we're working on fixing this right now. Here's our plan of action. Here's how we're approaching it. Really just 
I was completely transparent with them and completely honest with them. And I, I mean, I don't know because they didn't really say much aside from, okay, you're all good a couple of days later. But I feel that that's probably a good approach just when dealing with any any business, especially one as large as, as Amazon. Yeah, and you see that same advice with like Google violations, you know, so if where like you get manually penalized and you look at the case studies of people recovering from those, it's a lot of the same advice. So I think that's probably a good best practice is just to be as transparent as possible. I would also say that in my research, I saw at least one case of someone getting banned then getting unbanned from Amazon. I don't know the specifics of like everything they did to achieve that, but I it must be possible unless they're somehow lying or something. So even if you're already banned, you missed the warning or something, like do fix everything. Do try and be as transparent, as honest with them as possible. And you never know. Yeah, yeah and I would say just... Find out, you know? <laughs> yeah. To wrap it up, or to start wrapping this up, I would say if you are banned, and I don't have any data, but anecdotally people tell me that Amazon generally gives you one and one only shot to reinstate your account. But they're, what tends to happen to people, anecdotally, people relaying their own experiences, is that after the first time they basically stop answering your emails... So I would say do everything you can to be as compliant as possible if you get banned that first time you try to get your account reinstated. If that doesn't work, realize that there are many, many, many ways to monetize a site and there are thousands of affiliate programs out there and usually hundreds of affiliate programs for every niche. We have a big guide called the 55 Best Affiliate Programs out there that gives lots of alternatives to Amazon. And also there are services you can use to help you apply to and link to on your site lots of different affiliate programs and you'll see big sites using those too just because it's convenient but if you are banned and it doesn't work there's definitely alternatives all right i think we're gonna wrap it up here on like a, a semi-positive note i guess thanks for joining guys and we'll see you next week bye bye Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.